podcast about product management, user experience design, technology, and more. This is Product by Design. All right, welcome to another episode of Product by Design. I am Kyle Evans, and today we're joined by another great guest, Hussein Almosawi. Welcome, Hussein. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be uh, here. Yeah, super excited to talk to you. Uh, let me introduce you really quickly, and then we'll have you tell us a little bit more about yourself. But Hussein is a product designer, a VFX artist, and author based in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, you, you've worked on a wide range of products uh, across industries, including footwear, automotive, tech, uh, consulting with a number of companies like Apple, Nike, Adidas, Google, Ford, um, and a number of brands. I'm super excited to talk about it and to talk about your book, uh, which is is really cool. Not only a cool book, but really cool looking. And we'll talk about the design of that because I, I really love it. But why don't you, before we dive into that, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that was a good brief intro. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, my name is Hussein al uh, I'm a visual effects artist, product designer, and author. Uh, I launched the Innovator's Handbook September 6th, so it's been a few months now. And basically it covers the different things that I've seen inside the industry and how people think and what makes them more innovative, just in a very simple way. So it's a very quick, fun read. Uh, it's innovation in a nutshell. It's not the ultimate guide. And I try to cover some personal stories, experiences, as well as, as uh, things that uh, are done inside of the industry. So it's stuff that I wish I knew 14 years ago, 15 years ago when I was a young designer. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and and it, is, it is a good quick read. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. We'll dive into it because um, I thought it was really enjoyable as well. But before we do, outside of the design and consulting that you do, uh, what do you like to do outside of, of the office? Uh, so for me, it's family. Family is always number one. Uh, I have two kids, a four-year-old, and I have a two-month-old. So definitely being busy with that. Then my second job is my the job that we're going to talk about today on this podcast, which is the design and the consultancy and everything else. So father first, uh, husband first, and then uh, the rest, that's the second job. Excellent. Yeah. No, understand that very, very well. Uh, so that's that's great. So as we dive into it, I'm I'm really interested about, you know, first off your journey, you know, tell us more about your journey. What brought you into product design, into, you know, where you're at currently, you know, working with a number of these different brands and, and ultimately to kind of writing uh, the innovators handbook, the book that, uh, that you, you know, just came out recently as well. Sure. So, so I come from a small Island called Bahrain. It's on the other side of the world in the middle East. Uh, as a young kid, as an aspiring designer, I was always into sports and that's what really got me into designing because I was designing like desktop wallpapers, uh, fan websites for uh, Allen Iverson, Tracy McGrady, all these basketball legends. And I was just doing it for fun. And then that started to become more serious. Then I started to get some, uh, some clients, some freelance when I was still in high school. And then again, started to become more serious. I went and studied graphic design and the passion just grew with me. And I really liked design and enjoyed design. And that took me on this path to to do my bachelor's in graphic design, do my master's in industrial design. And I always had one goal in mind since I was a kid. I wanted to work for Nike. I wanted to work for Adidas just because I loved sports so much. So I always looked at myself as a dream chaser, somebody who was from this tiny island and wanted to make it big, wanted to come to the US and work for these big companies, big brands. So I always had that as a driving force, as a vision. 
And that took me on this path of going to university, of uh, doing uh, my internship with different uh, companies, ad agencies like Ogilvy. I worked with uh, lots of small studios in the beginning. And then my biggest uh, breakthrough in the industry was uh, doing an internship with Nike back in 2012. Uh, they had a design internship. It was very challenging and competitive to get into. But for me, that was like the starting point of getting in and getting to network with lots of amazing people, amazing designers. And then from there, go and work with EA Sports in Canada. Then from EA Sports, uh, again, consult with Nike for a few years uh, on different projects, different teams. And then from that, go and work with Adidas as a senior designer. And then in summer of 2019, I started my own studio. Uh, which also led me down the path of working with clients outside of sports. So I really wanted to expand. So then I got to work with Ford. I got to work with Apple, work with Amazon. And so I guess the question for me has always been, there's two things. Like I've always been thinking about dreaming big, uh, try to get to my dreams, try to see the vision and work hard. That's one part of it. And then the other part is also always asking myself, what's next? all right, now I made it to Adidas. What's next? I made it to Nike. What's next? What's next? So that's how your goal and your vision keeps growing with you. And you feel a sense of fulfillment as you go along this path. No, that's, that's really great. And, and a really interesting journey, obviously, you know, going from what you had been thinking about as, you know, as a young designer in, in school and, and growing up into really executing on it and making it happen. So love that. And, and, We'll, we'll touch on some of the things because you talk a little bit about that in the book as well. You know, some of the, uh, the things that kind of brought you to that. So uh, I, we'll, we'll touch on that as well. But, um, you know, in the book, uh, the innovator's handbook, which I'll just, I'll touch on, I'm interested in first off, um, uh, the, the design of this. Cause I, I just, this was the first thing that struck me about it. And I absolutely love it. Cause, um, and I don't know if this was like intentional, but, um, it reminds me like of a sticky note pad, which as a product person, I just absolutely like, I look at that and I just love because um, it has like the nice colors and like the the square design. And I'm just like, I want any, I look at that and I'm like, I want that. I just That's have like, <laughs> my, my desk is just, I probably have like two dozen sticky note pads just like around my desk and I'm just, <laughs> they're just like all different colors. And so, um, Anyway, I don't know if that was intentional, but I, I just love the design of this book. Thank you. Thank you. No, uh, it's really great to hear that. So I, when I did the book, I had two routes. One was to go with a publisher and one was to self-publish. And the reason I chose to self-publish was because I had full creative freedom in terms of what I did. And as a product designer, I mean, I didn't just look at this as a book. This to me was a product. So how can it look nice on the shelf? How can I look at all the details uh, using Pantone colors on the pages, uh, using the holographic foiling on the cover. So all these things, they really raise the cost and publishers, they don't like that because they really want to make money at the end of the day. For me, okay. I mean, even if I broke even, that's fine. Uh, money wasn't really the driving factor for this book, but I wanted to do something that looked nice, that stood out. And that's why you see the details, even the texture of the papers, the texture of the cover. So all that is like the, the premium selections that I could take. I went with those options. So, so definitely intentional. And the, the colors that pop, I mean, it's great to hear that they look like post-its. I didn't think of it that way, but absolutely. Uh, we yeah. all love post-its as designers. So, so that's great to hear. No, I, I, I look at that and, and as product people, it probably does. That's the kind of thing that probably strikes us a lot is those types of details of, you know, the, you know, some of, 
the higher quality things and the colors and things like that. I don't know. I'm just, I'm drawn to the, those types of things. And obviously like as product managers and designers, it's probably a common theme, but in, you know, in the book you talk, you focus obviously on innovation. It's the innovator's handbook. Um, what to you is innovation and, and why is innovation so important? So innovation, it can have lots of different uh, definitions. Even if you go online, you look at different talks on YouTube, everybody defines innovation in a different way, I guess, from different perspectives. But in a nutshell, innovation is how can you better something and better people's lives? How can you improve something? Take something and take it to the next level. That's innovation. Go from point A to point B to point C to point D. And every innovation that exists today, uh, it can be remixed into another innovation. So mixing ideas together, coming up with something new and better. And every innovation that exists, it's not just a stepping stone, but they also play a role in the future innovations that come out. So, so that's innovation. How can I improve something? How can I improve your life experience? When Steve Jobs was thinking about the iPhone, people didn't know what an iPhone was or what, uh, they weren't really exposed to smartphones at that time. There were some smartphones, but they weren't really exposed to it. But he brought that experience to them. He showed them why they need it and why it's important in their lives. And now nobody can live without a smartphone. So, so, so not necessarily the consumer knows what they need. Sometimes as designers, we can introduce things and show them an interesting path, some, an interesting possibility of what could be done and what doesn't exist. So always thinking about the future, thinking about improvement, thinking about taking things to the next level. I really appreciate that because, you know, innovation, you know, sometimes we think about it as <clears throat> completely from whole cloth, like new things, but it, often it is, you know, kind of that recombining, like you said, of things that have been into some sort of new and improved form. So taking, you know, two things that may exist, like you said, independently and creating something newer or better or, you know, something different that, you know, maybe hadn't existed in that way before and, you know, continually iterating and improving, you know, those are forms of innovation. How, how can we innovate uh, more? You know, obviously it's something that is, you know, you talk about it being really important. Um, you know, how, how is that something that uh, we can do more like in our, in our lives or in our, in our jobs, in our roles and be more, just more attuned to in, in everything that we're doing? So there's a few things and I do cover them in the book, uh, things to look out for when you are designing or not even just designing, even when you're going out for a walk, when you're not even thinking about design. So certain things that uh, help you with that creative muscle, with that innovation muscle to start to think about things outside the box, and then it becomes easier and easier. One of my favorite things is uh, curiosity. So when I was, when I was at Nike, uh, I met with Tinker Hatfield. He's one of the most well-known footwear designers in the industry. And an advice that he gave me was be a creative sponge, uh, be a curious sponge, sorry. So, and what that means is like, wherever you are, if I'm at a basketball match, if I'm at an art gallery, if I'm just going to buy some groceries, always be curious to everything around you. Don't be stuck on your perspective. Listen to things, look at things, feel things, you know, just soak everything in with your different senses. And that as a designer, subconsciously, you'll start to appreciate that and you'll start to output more creative results. So curiosity is definitely the biggest uh, skill set that you need to uh, build on and, and have. Another great example is uh, Leonardo da Vinci. If you look at his notebooks, he had all these notebooks, hundreds and hundreds of notebooks. If you look at what he's written inside of them, what does the tongue of a woodpecker look like? 
Why is the sky blue? How can I turn a circle into a square? And so on. Like really random questions that he was super curious about. Like, why is it even important? He doesn't know. But that leads him down the path of asking the right questions, of thinking about things and looking at things differently. So if we all build on that curiosity that we have, rather than take things for granted, uh, that will definitely give us the eye and uh, advantage when it comes to designing something better and thinking about improving things. So that's one thing, curiosity. Another one that I like and I discuss in the book is being laser focused. So usually when I'm like, let's say I have this pen and I want to innovate on this pen and I want to improve it. So I, I, could, I can look at the ink. I can look at the cap. I can look at different parts of the pen. I mean, there's much going on here, but same with shoes. I can look at the sole. I can look at the, the upper. I can look at the materials. I can look at, is it lightweight? Is it durable? Is it strong? And so on. So be laser focused on just one thing. Don't think about the big picture and don't think about everything and how can I innovate on everything. Uh, if you're looking at a shoe and you're looking at lightweight, how can I make it the most lightweight shoe that ever existed? How can I make the most durable shoe? That's a different bucket. How can I make the uh, a shoe that has the best materials? That's a different bucket. And then when I innovate within those buckets and within those themes, and I have like the lightest shoe, the most durable shoe, the most comfortable shoe, then I can start to mix and match those different ingredients. So that really helped me in the industry. And I saw a lot of it, whether I was in tech, whether I was in uh, automotive, whether I was in footwear, uh, that being laser focused, I mean, it's such a simple thing, but when you start to do it, you start to really hone in and focus on just one thing at a time. And it's super important. So I'd yeah, say those are like my top two uh, from the things that I discuss in the book. Yeah, yeah. I think that those are really good. I, I'm, I'm, I want to kind of double click on a little bit of those because I think that those are, are super, super important as well. Uh, you, you talk about curiosity and I, I love that because, um, you know, you, you mentioned having uh, kids and I've, I've got two kids as well. And that's something that consistently comes up for me is this idea of these questions that are always uh, there. Um, and, you know, one just in a conversation that I was having last night was, you know, my my son was asking, you know, what is uh, what is pi? as in like the number pi, why is pi important? Um, you know, how, you know, how do we, and all of these different, like just diving in, like, uh, to, to these questions, you know, what is, you know, what is the, and then it, that led to like, what is the circumference of a circle? What is the diameter of a circle and all of these things. And then, you know, what are, what are decimals? How long, you know, how long can a decimal go in? And just this curiosity of all of these things that, you know, led me to, to answer until, you know, he, he was getting into questions that was like, okay, I'm going to have to start, I'm going to have to start like doing a little bit more reading because he's reached the edge of things that I can just like talk about without doing a little bit more. So this curiosity that he has about just things that, you know, he wants to know about and kind of like you were saying, this curiosity of, of just looking around and, and thinking like, Hey, you know, what are these things happening around us you know why why is the sky blue why are things the way they are how have you found curiosity to to you know help you in some of the things that you you've been working on how i guess how do you exercise that muscle as a designer on a regular basis and you know really builds that curiosity like leonardo da vinci or, or like other people in order to you know bring in some of these questions to kind of help you in the work that you're doing or, or just help you generally be more of a curious person? 
I think it's a, I love the example of your son, by the way, because I can totally relate. <laughs> and yeah, when my daughter starts asking questions, it just, it just doesn't end until I give up. And it's, it's really interesting because we all had that as kids. And then at some point we started to being less curious and less curious. I don't know. Is, is it just because we, we don't know the answers to things, so we give up? Or is it because we were told not to ask the question or because whoever we asked didn't know the answer? I'm just like even curious about that. Like, uh, but yeah, the questions do get a lot. And sometimes <laughs> I also don't know how to answer them. Uh, so yeah, back to your question. Uh, for me, I, I try to stay aware at uh, all times. Like I remind myself uh, if I see something interesting, why is it interesting? Like for some time I was, when I was starting out uh, doing designing with al algorithms, it's called parametric design in 3D. So like Zaha Hadid, and uh, she's a very well-known architect that she uses a lot of parametric design and it's based on algorithms. Uh, so that, I use that a lot in my design process. So when I was starting to learn that, I, fe I feel like that really gave me that curiosity because when I was just going out for a walk and I was looking at uh, leaves, for example, on a tree, and then I look at the details, I look at those stems on the leaves. Uh, okay, what's the algorithm behind it? You know, I try to break the code just in my head. All right, so there's one big uh, spine in the middle and then they start big, then they start to get smaller, smaller, smaller. If I wanted to mimic that in 3D, how can I do that? If I look at a tree, if I look at anything around me, I mean, specifically nature, there's so much of algorithms in nature. There's like code in terms of how things are designed. And that really built my curiosity of just asking questions. How is that the way it is? Why is it done that way? Uh, when you have water droplets on a, like in the morning, when you have it on a, on a tree, for example, why is it structured in a certain way? And so on. So I think that was like a big thing. Uh, another thing was like when I traveled back home, uh, to Bahrain, I was, uh, I had just left my Nike internship and I had that curiosity in me and I was asking questions. So even as a native of that country, I started to really appreciate the culture much, much more because I was like going and meeting with people who did local crafts, things that were done out of clay or like, uh, uh, palm trees, things that had to do with that region. And then I started to look at how they did it and what was the technique and why they did it, the benefits of it. And then I started to think of, okay, the stuff, like they were doing paper out of uh, palm tree leaves. Okay, how can I do that? Can I do, take any of that back into footwear that I'm doing, something that has nothing to do with what they're doing? And then I started to ask some interesting questions. So I think just the appreciation for what is around me and what surrounds me and what was around me for a very long time that I never really maybe cared about. So that's how it really benefited me. And now when I'm reading a book, when I'm going out and talking to someone that I've met for the first time in my life, uh, whatever I'm doing, I'm always like curious and interested to take something away from that experience. So, so that's definitely how it has benefited me so far. Yeah, I, th I think that's really good. What if I told you that a year from now you could finally get that chief creative officer promotion, lead a larger team, and have your CFO finally understand the value of design? It all starts with Future London Academy's MBA for Design Leaders, during our five two-week modules in London and California, you'll be in the same room with creative leaders from around the world, learning, collaborating, and sharing laughter and tears. You'll go behind the scenes of the top design agencies and most inspiring companies while receiving bespoke mentorship from CEOs, CFOs, and design leaders from Dropbox, Pentagram, Wolf Olins, Zaha Hadid Architects, and many others. With Future London Academy, you're here to erase borders, question everything, inspire others, 
ignite ideas, make friends, challenge the impossible, start a movement, invent solutions, think differently, change the world, and never, never stop learning. Become one of the 30 change makers today. Apply now at bit.ly slash chief designer. That is bit.ly forward slash chief designer or check out the show notes for the link. Um, in your in your book, you also talk about uh, first principles, which I think are are really good. And, and I love that because I think that um, using that both in kind of curiosity, like, like we're talking about, but also in, you know, getting back to, you know, what are the, the principles of some of these things and, and how can we break that down um, can be really, really critical, both in innovation and design. But maybe you can talk a little bit more about that. You know, what are first principles and, and how can we use that in innovation and in design and as we're thinking through some of these things? Absolutely. So that's the first chapter in the book. And I do love first, first principles a lot. Uh, they use it a lot in the industry. Uh, SpaceX has used it. Tesla has used it. Elon Musk has talked about it a lot. So, so what first principles is, for example, let's say I'm designing a shoe for a basketball player. I would take that shoe and first I'll start with the brief. What do I want to do with the shoe for the next season? Let's say we're in 2022, want to design something for 23. Uh, we want to make the shoe lighter and more comfortable. Okay, so I'm going to take that shoe, break it apart into all of its different components, the laces, the sole, the upper, the tongue, maybe there's like a metallic logo on it, whatever's there. I just break it up and put it on a table. And then I'm going to go to each part and I'm going to start to ask questions. Do I really need this part? Was the way this part done, uh, is it relevant for 23? Are there new technologies that I can use? Is there a different way that I can do it? Do I even need it? Uh, is there a lighter material that I can use? And so on. So I'd start to ask those questions uh, that would get me the answers for my brief. And then when I question everything that's on the table, then I put the shoe back together with the new resources that I have, with the new materials, the new designs, new technologies. And then I have a whole, I have a completely different shoe that didn't exist. And the idea of first principles is that we just don't assume that the things, the way they were done before, is the right way to be done. If a table was done, designed a certain way for a thousand years, a chair, maybe it is the right way. Maybe it's not the right way. So let's not just assume that the way things were done were, are always correct or always relevant. Maybe it was correct a thousand years ago. But now when I look at different technologies, maybe there's a different manufacturing process. Maybe I can do it in a better way. Maybe there's new materials. And another thing that we always do in first principles method is, uh, let's say we're looking at a shoe that has a good fit system. Okay, we'd look at uh, seatbelt industry. We'd look at uh, baby strollers. Maybe it's, uh, we need good traction. Okay, I'm going to look at... Uh, different tire companies for cars, for bicycles. How are they looking at traction? So really looking at different industries and bringing in different insights that uh, we don't have in the footwear industry necessarily, and then start to you know create new innovation within my space. So that's really the, the key behind first principles. Break it apart, put it back together. I think, th I think that's really, really great. And I love, I love that because often it can lead you to uh, either back to the, the place that you were before, uh, but with the understanding that, you know, this is the reason why, and, you know, now we understand it and now, you know, we can build off of that. You know, maybe it is that the re the, the way we've been doing it is in fact the right way. And we've, I've done that before. Like we've broken apart a lot of the things that we've been doing, you know, in some of the roles and, you know, gone back to you know, first principles and kind of torn it down and, and built it back up. And, 
and come to the conclusion like, yes, you know, we're, we're doing things in, in, in relatively the right way. And, and, you know, it makes sense the way we're doing it and, and we're going to continue to do it this way. And now we know what, all the reasons why. And in other cases, like you said, it's, you can look at it and say, okay, what we've been doing maybe isn't working or we need to start doing things differently. And, you know, here's the reasons why. And, and I think breaking things down and kind of pulling them apart and then having that really deep understanding from kind of that base level and then building up from there, it can give us that understanding from basically from the ground level. And then we can say like, yes, this is right. Or no, we need to make some changes. And Absolutely. then we can start to, to build from there based on really like, like you were saying, the fundamental principles of, you know, what is the right thing to do based on these, these core ideas and the, these first principles, rather than That's just perfect. assuming that, Hey, what we've been doing is the right thing. And we're just going to continue to do some of these things. Absolutely. And the insights that you get are really interesting, like, because it's a very collaborative process. So let's say we're talking about laces on a shoe. Uh, should the laces be in the middle of the shoe? What if I put it on the right side and the left side? Do I even need laces? So then I maybe start to go uh, and talk to a doctor, look at the ana anatomy, anatomy of the foot. Uh, what's the most comfortable way to do it? What's the best position to you know place it on? So you learn a lot like from the people that you surround yourself with, whether it's doctors, sports science, uh, manufacturing, other designers. Uh, it's just really, you learn a lot throughout this process. That's, those are those are such great ones because it's, it's like one of those things that you take for granted. Like, do you, where do the laces go and do you even need laces and are there better things than laces and all of these questions that absolutely you know, like that, in adidas we had even in nike i know they have but i've never worked with one but uh there's a sports science uh yeah. department and they bring in all those crazy insights like i've of how the anatomy works and how the body and the feet they move and work and as a designer you learn a lot from that process like if you push on a certain bone uh, it releases the foot a certain joint it releases the foot and then you can maybe run faster so stuff that you never thought about really really fascinating super smart people yeah yeah oh that's that's really great you you touch a little bit on um imposter syndrome too in your book and, and i'm curious i because it's a topic that that you know that we've talked about on, on this podcast and and you know i've talked about before but um how do you deal with imposter syndrome how how have you dealt with imposter syndrome um before in some of the work that you've done either you know as you've kind of been a designer or, or worked in some of these various industries and you know how do you view that so i think really it's uh of course i face it a lot and i think we've we all have and to me it really comes down to the team that you are working with that builds your confidence and that helps you see really who you are and what you can bring to the table and I talk about this in the book, and I've spoken about it before in other podcasts. The, I think what really helped me through my journey of getting from where I was to where I wanted to be and where I continue trying to get to is the people that I surround myself with, whether it's family, friends, colleagues, uh, if I'm in the industry, the team that I'm working with. Now, now, of course, you can't always choose your team when you're working in the industry, but the team helps a lot. Like I've seen teams and I've worked on teams where they, let's say I can deliver this much because they pushed me and because they excited me and because they made me believe in myself, I delivered this much. And there's teams where I could really deliver this much, but because of how negative they were and because of just the bad 
uh, vibes that were going on, I was delivering like this much. So that really plays a role in your, in your mindset, in your confidence, in the way that you perform, in the way that, that you deliver. Uh, I mean, yeah, sometimes you work in the industry, you see that you're doing amazing, you're doing great, you're not doing so great. But then when you leave and you start your own thing, oh, now everybody's surprised that, oh, he could do that, he could do this. So so it's a, it takes some time to to understand what you can deliver and believe in yourself, have that confidence, true confidence in yourself. But again, that circle of people around you that keep pushing you, that uh, make you hear what's what's the reality of you know who you are and where you want to get to. I think that's really important. People that are sincere and and good and have the positive vibes. I think you need that around you. Absolutely. I think the the team and the people that that you're you're part of and that you're with can make such a huge <laughs> huge difference. Um, so I totally agree with that. Um, and kind of going along those same lines, like you have some, some good stories about failing and, and you kind of touched on this, uh, both at the beginning, kind of getting into the industry and in the book about, you know, starting your career, you know, uh, struggling to get into the industry. And then also about, you know, some of the, the failures, both in product development, you kind of touched on the story of end cycle and some of the development and, and the long process uh, with that in the book, um, how do you approach failure and how, how do you look at that as far as both personally, um, and as well as with innovation, um, and how can we use failure both as something to, to grow with and, um, you know, touching on kind of what you were talking about, like, uh, with, uh, imposter syndrome, like how can we view it? And you know what have been some of your experiences, both using it and building off of it uh, professionally? Sure. Yeah, failure really excites me. <laughs> it's a it's a terrible thing because you know sometimes you want to get to something in a certain amount of time, and it's super frustrating. It's easy for me to say now that it excites me, but <laughs> but now that you look back, you know, you understand the the value of failure, especially when you don't give up. So I mean, everybody, all of us have faced failure. Whenever you have a goal, whenever you have a vision, you want to get from point A to point B, there's going to be struggles uh, along the way. Whether it's uh, applying for a job, whether it's doing product design, whether you want to innovate on something, you have a startup. And that's part of the excitement of that journey. There's the ups and downs. There's the learning experience. Uh, for me, every failure along the way, it's a new experience that I just learned. It's an advantage that I have over somebody else who didn't gain that experience. When you look at somebody who's at the top of a company, a CEO or somebody else, they had so many failures and those experiences that they have, that's what made them a CEO in most uh, situations. Uh, something that you didn't have, maybe because you didn't experience those failures, those struggles and so on. So I always tell people, like even when I'm teaching, uh, I tell my students that one day you're going to have a book about your success story. Everybody's going to look up to you. This is the most successful person. But imagine if that book didn't have chapters about failure and how you failed and how you struggled and you know how you pushed back. So that's really important. So so for me, I mean, if I look at failure on different levels, uh, when I was, I always had this dream, I wanted to get into the industry. It took me about five years since I graduated from college to, to get my first chance and over 80 rejections, different roles, different companies in the sports industries. And it was for different reasons. It wasn't necessarily my skills. I mean, that was part of it, something that I worked on and tried to see how I can improve and talk to people and find mentors. And then also another part of it is uh, stuff that's not in your hands, the economic situation. There's a hiring freeze happening. There's layoffs, uh, visa situation. I'm not from the US. 
So there's stuff that you just can't control. But if you have a dream, you shouldn't just talk the talk. You should also walk the walk. And you should have that persistence of, okay, if, I, if this isn't going to work, I'm going to try it another way. I'm going to try it another way. And the end goal is like, even if I hadn't made it into the sports industry, if I never got a job there, that's not going to define me and who I am as a failure. Okay, there's a million other paths that I can take. I'm going to try hard and I'm going to try my best to get in. And if I don't get in, at least I know that I did try. But again, it's not, it's not going to define me as a failure. It just didn't work, work out for me for whatever reason. But I'm going to keep going one way or another. So, so that's, that's like for the job. Uh, when I was designing the N-Cycle, it's an e-bike uh, design that I did with a good friend of mine, Marine Miftio. It's an iconic electric bike, iconic looking electric bike that uh, got lots of recognition and, you know, it got featured in lots of museums, magazines and everywhere. So uh, it looks different than the bikes that we have seen for like for the past 150 years. Uh, just because the way the frame looks different, it was very challenging to, to manufacture it and make it a bike that you could actually ride without the frame bending and twisting. And each prototype costs us about 90,000 euros. So it's not a, it's not a cheap process. And then it took us up to eight prototypes until we could actually get a working bike. So the, from the first one, there were failures. Then we had to change some stuff. We had some new ideas. Got the second one, third one, fourth one. So by the time we got to the eighth uh, prototype, we learned so much of what we shouldn't do, of how we can do things different, how we can do things better, how we can innovate. And you really need that process uh, and you need that time and you need those struggles and you need those failures to understand and to improve and to innovate and to get to where you want to get to. I'll give you one more last story that I also mentioned in the book. I mean, there's a lot of stories when you talk about failure. James Dyson, for example, uh, or even the bubble wrap. You know, bubble wrap is an interesting story as well. The bubble wrap uh, packaging material that uh, we use on everything. So these guys wanted to do uh, packaging material. They want to do a wallpaper design, which, which looked 3D. So they did these molds and then they did this 3D looking wallpaper design. And it really didn't uh, do well in the market. So then they thought about new ideas. They thought about uh, using it for a like, greenhouse insulation. It didn't work in the market. And then they thought up to 400 different ideas. They knew they had a good product. They weren't sure what they can use it for. So then they just put it in the drawers, uh, just thinking about new ideas, new ideas, until IBM came one day with, their, with this huge computer that they had. They just released, had lots of fragile components. And they thought this is the perfect material that they can use for packing it and shipping the computer. And then from that, you know, everything is history. Same with James Dyson, the, the guy who did the vacuum cleaners, the bagless vacuum cleaners. He did over 4,127 prototypes before he succeeded with his, uh, with his uh, concept and with his idea. And now Dyson is a household name that does more than vacuum cleaners and so on and so on. If you look at sports, Michael Jordan, you look at, you know, any great person, they failed, they failed, they failed. So Failure is really good. Just learn from your lessons quick, get up quick on your feet and uh, stay focused. Sorry, I talked yeah. a lot on that. <laughs> no, no, I think that's really great because we we talk about failure as, as being uh, a good thing in, in the industry just generally. And I think that that's a, a good thing that like, hey, you know, failure is, is a great thing to learn from. It's a difficult thing to internalize personally though because nobody likes to fail. Um, but kind of like you said, it's one of those things that you you really can learn from and as you do things you learn you know what are the things to do differently kind of like you were talking about specifically with the end cycle like there's things that if you get it right on the first time then there's a whole bunch of things that 
Like, what are the variables that maybe on the next version of this thing or the next type of bicycle that you want to make, you don't know what are the things to avoid or, you know, what are the things that, what are the principles that are going to work on this next one that, exactly. you know, maybe you, sh- you could have or should have learned from on the first one because you, you got it, you got it right. And so sure. like, if you just take those things and apply them, you know, maybe you're going to miss a whole bunch of the things that, that you could have learned on the first one. And maybe that works out. Maybe it doesn't. And you have to go through like 10 prototypes on, on the second one. It's all one. insights. It's all insights. Yeah. I mean, imagine you wanted to start a new company today, a footwear company, and you had a thousand dollars in the bank and you're going against Nike and they also had a thousand dollars in the bank. So forget about the financial aspect. Who's going to win? Most likely Nike, because I mean, not for sure, but most likely Nike because they have the insights. They've tried so many things. They've seen what works, what doesn't work. And maybe it's going to take you a thousand times to do the first prototype, right? Where they know exactly what to do from the first go, just because they have that wealth of knowledge. And it's interesting. I mean, we talk about failure and everybody knows failure is good. Everybody knows that failure makes you grow. But unfortunately, when you work in some teams in the industry, you're always expected not to fail. You're always expected to get it right on the first go. So it's an interesting uh, thing that you see on some teams and some companies. The expectations are here, but reality is here. And they know that reality of failing is important. But the moment you fail, you know, some you can be held accountable for it. Yeah, we, we, all, know, we all know the principle, but nobody <laughs> is willing to like apply that to like, hey, this thing failed. It, you know, that's okay. The, that attitude seems to be absent when it comes to the, the actual application Absolutely. of failure is okay. And, and all of a sudden it becomes, you know, more of a, you know, what happened? Why did this fail? And the, the idea really could be, and should be that, Hey, it failed because, you know, a whole bunch of these things. And now we learned, and now we can apply this to the next thing. And we know, you know, uh, a, B and C don't work. And, you know, we're going to try D, E, and F, and we're going to continue to learn and iterate. And, and that is literally part of the process of product development and of learning and iterating. And that's literally why we do all of these things. And hopefully we're minimizing the, the, the cost and the fallout of some of these experiments, but that's why we do them and why we, we fail and learn and and continue to grow from. Absolutely. I mean, even, I mean, you you probably know this, but just for the listeners. So uh, like even in footwear and any company that does product, uh, like when you go to the factory, you do the first round of the called first round of sampling, and then you get your first sample. Usually it takes up to three samples, sometimes even four samples, four rounds of sampling, where you would see the product, do some changes, do some wear testing, wear testing is like four weeks, sometimes eight weeks see how uh, it fits, see how it performs, and then do improvements and improvements and improvements. So, you know, you always have to go through that process to perfect it and then give it to the consumer rather than just give them the, the shoe from the first uh, from the first round. Yeah. And expect that the first shoe that comes off the line is going to be the right one that's going to fit. And if it's not, then we're going to be surprised that like, hey, why isn't this, why didn't this one work? And, you know, we need to Exactly. We need to make a better process so that the first one that comes off the line is the right one and it fits and it works so that, you know, we're not making prototypes that don't fit the consumer right off of the line. Like that would just be a strange attitude to have. And yet there's so many teams and companies that have that attitude of like, 
if it doesn't come off the line, if it doesn't come out, you know, pretty much ready to go, then we've done something wrong. And that's just not, that's just not the right attitude to have. Absolutely. It's, Absolutely. it's a constant iteration process. I'll add, I'll add one more thing. And it has to do with failure, with the curiosity, bunch of different things that we talked about. So this was when I was at Adidas and I've seen it at Nike as well. Like they've put it in an exhibition in Milano Design Week. So with We'd go like to a Home Depot, we'd go to any DIY store, dollar store, buy random stuff that has nothing to do with shoes, ping pong tables, hair clips, uh, whatever you can find, just stuff that looks interesting. Put it on a table and then start to think about, let's say a shoe that is for a hundred years from now, a shoe that is super lightweight. And then we start to construct shoes with stuff that has nothing to do with shoes. And then that, you know, just thinking blue sky, there's no right or wrong. You get all these funny looking shoes, crazy silhouettes. Uh, like I remember there was once a shoe made out of a dish, uh, what's it called? Dish sponges. So, you know, just the sole was made out of that. And it just really opens your eyes and gives you a different perspectives to our, okay, it could look this way. This is an interesting shape. This is an interesting material. Let's mix this and that. So again, you know, when there's no limits or fear of failure, you get to just explore, just have fun, blue sky ideas. Then when I'm thinking about like stuff for a hundred years from now, 200 years from now, and then I like something and then I see the reality of where I am in 2023, these are my uh, limitations. This is what the factories can do. Then I start to bring the two closer to each other and then come up with the interesting new product. So I've seen that a lot in the industry, especially footwear, and it's super exciting. That That's such a, a really great exercise that, um, it's so great to hear about because I don't think enough teams probably do that sort of thing enough. Uh, just kind of opening the, the thinking of, you know, let's just really take away all the constraints and all of the, the idea that there's bad ideas and let's just really put everything out there and we can start to kind of constrain ideas after, but let's just like make this kind of an open free space. Exactly. You're 100% right. We start to yeah. judge too early. That's the problem. Yeah. And, totally. we, and we forget to have fun when we do yeah. that. You know, when you have that fear in the back of your head of, that I'm going to mess up, what's this person going to think? What's this person going to think? Uh, sometimes you have some amazing ideas that you just, okay, I'm not going to show it to anyone because it might be silly. The moment you get rid of that and the team has an understanding of that, Crazy ideas can happen. Crazy ideas can happen. Yeah. And, and some of the best would probably be, and I can imagine probably be the ones that are willing to push to the very most extreme, like not even just what is the most likeness of, you know, something that's current, but what could be possibly even the most extreme example of something that even like slightly resembles a shoe in this case, but is exactly, just exactly. like, let's push the boundaries of what the concept of a shoe even is. And then we can start to pull that back at some point, but let's just not even constrain ourselves in any way so that the thinking can really just expand in every possible direction. And like we're, you know, we're pushing boundaries just way, way out, pushing all of the limits. And then we can start to take those ideas and pull in the things that, you know, potentially could work or not work. And, and start to, to pull those things back together. And, and it works. I think that idea works in shoes. It works in other. And everything, even software, UI, UX, yeah. everything. Yep. And you'll be fascinated how every person on the team sees that same design in a different way, different perspective. And everybody can add like their twist to it. They can have a different uh, interpretation of that design. 
okay, let's do this. Why don't we do this? And I also talk about that in the book, the idea of diversity of the team. The more different your team is when it comes to skill sets, backgrounds, culture, uh, language, you know, the more diverse you are, the more diverse the team is, the more they'll start to look at things in different ways. And just as to the innovation process, it's going to fuel it. I'm going to look at something from my perspective. You're going to see from your perspective. We're going to add our ideas together. So many times in the industry, I've done something that I thought is super cool. And then I give it to the guy next to me. And he reinterprets it in a different way and just comes up with a whole different design that I could have never imagined and just wowed me like crazy. Oh, this is what you did with, with my design. And then he gives it to somebody else and then they do something totally different. And then by the time, you know, the last person is working on it, it's something that you can't even relate it to my product. But at least, you know, there's that inspiration from point A to B to C to D. And that's super important. Yeah, I, I want to touch on that because you 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 do talk about that in the book, and I, I love this, and I kind of love it too because my wife and I were actually just in Italy and in Florence as well, and and you you talk about the Medici effect mm-hmm. um, in the book, and and I love it for the Italian reference, <laughs> and I also love it for the diversity reference, like you were sure. just talking about this idea of bringing in a diversity of. Uh, perspectives, a diversity of people and of backgrounds of all different uh, types of thinking so that we can have these different types of perspectives and backgrounds and, and people in the process. Because if we don't have that, then all of a sudden, you know, we just have, if we have a whole bunch of, of Kyle's and, and very similar Kyle views, for example, like on the team, then the design really will probably everything will be, look the same. <laughs> yeah, it will all look. It will all be very, very similar. And um, you know, one example that that um, we talked a long time ago, and and this was um, one of the designers on my team, and I were talking about this. Um, the the idea that uh, one of the, uh, a banking app, for example, was designed obviously by um, a group of Americans, and it had like a field for first name and last name. And that's just not the case for everybody. Uh, they don't just have first names and last names and uh, around the world. You know, there's a variety of different names and it's not just single names either. And that was like the input field. And so when you don't have a variety of different backgrounds, perspectives, and even different names or the ability to like input names with spaces or that type of thing, you, you miss that type of thing. And so exactly. yeah. kind of like you were talking about, bringing in, and that's just like a, a super small example, but the idea of, of kind of like the Medici's in, in Florence, in, in, in the Renaissance time, bringing in a whole bunch of different perspectives and different people to really enrich the culture and, and have this uh, diversity in both in Florence, but also currently, you know, bringing in lots of different people and, and diverse backgrounds and, and diverse perspectives so that we don't have like the one, the the problems that it causes, but also so we can have the benefits of a variety of different perspectives and people. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about some of your 100%. experience? I mean, also a good example is the, like if you bring a, let's say Italian chef who knows how to cook Italian food. And then I bring a Japanese chef. Uh, so imagine the different combinations that they can make. He's going to look at stuff as an Italian chef. The other one's looking at stuff as a Japanese chef. So maybe you're mixing a spaghetti with a sushi concept. Maybe you're mixing a pasta with, you know, another concept. And then maybe you bring in a a Greek chef. Maybe then you bring in an American chef. 
So it's just exponential, like these different ideas, the way they can mix and match and what uh, newness you can bring out of that is super fascinating. One of my favorite authors and speakers is uh, Franz Johansson, who I mentioned in the book. Uh, he's the author of The Medici Effect. And he talks a lot about these creating these intersections between things that uh, have nothing to do with each other. So finding like that intersection and then innovating in that intersection. Like an example is uh, termite mounds. Uh, in Zimbabwe, Harare, uh, they built a government building and the architect was looking at ideas of how he could reduce cost and not install a air conditioning system, which costs a lot of money there. So he saved about $4 million by just looking at how termite mounds uh, are structured and how it's always like it has this ventilation system and how it always uh, has the same temperature, constant, uh, consistent temperature throughout the day, throughout the day and night. So he mimicked exactly what happens in the termite mounds and brought it into architecture, into his practice. And then he saved more than $4 million and he was able to keep a constant temperature throughout the day. And that's what I did my uh, master's degree in actually, uh, innovation in, uh, through nature, which is biomimicry. How can I look at nature, get ideas from nature, and then mimic that into my design practice? Maybe I'm designing a car, maybe I'm designing a bike, a shoe. There's so much to learn from nature. And nature is just one example of finding intersections between things that have nothing to do with each other. And he, he speaks a lot about that intersection and how you can uh, connect the dots between two very irrele irrelevant things and find relevance uh, within them. I think that's, that's super, super important and, and super great. What advice would you have for anyone starting out in product design or getting, looking to get in product design or looking to really build their career in product design. You, you talked a little bit about, you know, the book being some of the advice that you wish you had early in your career. You know, what would be some of the advice uh, that, you know, obviously you have a whole, a whole book of it, but what would be some of the, the advice that you would want to give uh, to somebody kind of starting out or early in their career? Uh, I'd say stay focused, be sharp, have a clear vision from the very beginning it's fine for your vision to change. Just uh, don't just dream big, you know, as I said in the beginning, you talk the talk, but also walk the walk. If I want to get to this company, if I want to start my own studio, I want to get this client. Uh, th these are amazing goals, big dreams, but how am I going to do it? How am I going to achieve it? Plan it out, write it down. I've, I've realized whenever I write things down, when I, whenever I have a goal or a dream, it just becomes much more serious. And then I also know that, okay, I'm going to do it this way or this way. My plan could be completely wrong. It could not work. Again, failure. But at least I know that I'm trying this way. If this avenue doesn't work, I'm going to try the second path, third path, and so on. So have that persistence and, you know, always be hungry for more. That's the first advice. The second is uh, always be humble and hungry. The, uh, the moment you achieve a goal or achieve a dream, don't stop there. Always ask yourself, what's next? And the moment you stop, that's the moment you really fail. So what's next? Okay, I made it to Adidas. What's next? I want to start my own studio. What's next? What's next? Uh, be hungry for more, but also along the way, always be humble because it's so easy to get carried away and forget about where you started in the beginning. There's so many young designers out there that always reach out to me on Instagram and, you know, they always remind me of who I was like 15, 20 years ago. So try to give back as much as you can, whether it's a talk, whether it's a workshop, whether it's helping people out, uh, so that's really important. Be humble and hungry. Uh, and then the last one is, uh, you know, we mentioned this as well, uh, who you work with and what teams you work with. 
uh, doesn't really define you as a failure or a success. You are your own story. You create your own story. Uh, if you get to some companies, amazing. If you don't, it's not going to make you less of a person or less of a creative. So always keep that in mind. You know, uh, that really keeps you going and keeps you positive. And I'd say the last advice, again, we talked about this, surround yourself with positive people. That's super important. And yeah, I think those four are like the top four that I have, at, at least that I, I live by all the time. Nice. Well, that's great. Uh, Hussein, this has been a really, really great conversation. Um, I do have like two wrap up questions that yeah, go uh, for it. We, we like to ask, but have you read or watched anything recently that uh, you found interesting or, or want to share with anyone? I'm reading a few books uh, at the moment. One that I really enjoyed is The Art of War. Uh, it's a short book. You'll finish it in like yeah. a day or two. But it's so deep. Uh, it's, uh, it's I don't know who's the writer. It's like a Chinese guru or something. I don't, I don't want <laughs> to give you the wrong name. But The Art of War, very well-known, popular uh, book. It's basically how to how to act when you're in war, when you're defending, when you're attacking. But lots of business people read this book as a strategy book. And it's really interesting. I mean, it applies to, to life and to business and to work and everything else. So I found that really interesting. There were some really nice insights in there. Uh, another good book is, uh, I mean, I love Austin Kleon's books, Steal Like an Artist, uh, Show Your Work, uh, Love His Work. And he also inspired me to, I guess, write this book, even the format, the size. Uh, I was really inspired by his books. So so those are two two books that I, I would recommend. Yeah. Yeah. The very, of course, there's good. many more. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, those are definitely good ones. And any products that you've been using and enjoying recently or have used and not enjoyed? I'm not going to talk about the not enjoyed just so I don't throw <laughs> anybody under the bus. Uh, I've recently transitioned to mechanical keyboards. I know I'm a bit late to the game. My wife hates it because it's so noisy, <laughs> yeah. but I love it. Uh, I mean, it's cool. Reminds me of the old days. Yep. Uh, I don't know how long I'm going to keep using it keep using it, but I, I like it so far. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. Love a good mechanical keyboard. I used to work with a couple of developers in the office who had mechanical keyboards. And so they were obviously passionate about them, but they, they can be, they can be a little bit noisy, but um, <laughs> love them as well. All right. Um, Hussein, like I said, this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, where can people go to find out more about you, about the book, about the things that you're working on? So Instagram, super easy to find me. Uh, I'm always posting new stuff there. LinkedIn, I'm pretty active there. You can find me there. Uh, my website, studio website is musawistudios.com. Uh, I think the link is going to be in the yep. in the show notes. Yep. And there's a link also to the book on my website. So those are the top three. I'm also okay. getting active on Twitter lately, but yeah, I'd say those three. Okay, awesome. Yeah, we'll put all the links to those in the show notes uh, so you can check those out. And again, it was a pleasure talking, appreciate all of the insights, appreciate the book, uh, which again, was a, a really great read. Um, it's it's a, one, a greatly designed book, and it's got thank a lot you, of great stories you. in there um, by you, as well as a number of stories, kind of like you were mentioning from a number of different uh, people, both in the industry and, and from history as well. So awesome. Well, thank you, everybody for listening. Hussein, thank you again for your insight. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, everyone. We'll talk again next time. Thanks again for listening. If you like the show, be sure to follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow the show on Twitter 
at prod by design. That's prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me at Kyle Larry Evans on Twitter as well. If you want more product conversation, check out my newsletter, Product Thinking, at productthinking.cc. You can follow me on Medium at Kaya Larry Evans as well, or check out my Medium publication, uh, Product by Design. Thanks again.